The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. You are now about to take a journey with professional advisors Ken Smith and Ethan Broga on Empirical Investing Radio. To connect with Empirical Investing Radio, please call 1-866-472-5790. Fasten your seatbelts. You're going to need them. Just because the hosts have a sense of humor does not mean their advice won't change your life. Good afternoon and welcome to Empirical Investing Radio. Your host, Ken Smith, sitting next to my co-host, Ethan Broga and partner. How's it going, Ethan? Hey, Ken. Good. Good. This show is designed to share with you prudent financial planning and investment advice, the likes of which we hope will help you make a lifetime of smarter financial decisions. Ethan, would you mind sharing uh, our contact information and inviting our listeners to take advantage of the myriad of help that you are offering? <laughs> sure thing. Uh, a couple of things. If you'd like to join the show, feel free to give us a call or email today. Uh, we can be reached at 866-472-5790 or at contact at empiradio.com. And we'd be happy to uh, talk today. Uh, separately, if you're an individual investor out there looking for perhaps some help in building your financial plan, or perhaps you would like something as simple as a second opinion on your investments, uh, we'd be happy to, to get together and, and do that for you as well. Of course, free of charge. Happy to help guide uh, the decisions, especially you have around retirement. And we have a very well thought out and in-depth process around that. And if you'd like to learn more, feel free to give us a call during the week here at the office at 206-923-3474. And feel free to ask for Ken or Ethan, and we'll be happy to speak with you. Uh, Ken, for today's show, what are we going to be kicking around today. Well, Ethan, you had a few uh, articles that you brought to the the, the forbearance here. Um, I did. That's true. You, you did. You did. And I was just, and I got a stack of investment news and other articles that we could flip through. Um, but maybe we start with, um, you know, start with what you got. All right. We can do that. All right. Let's do it. Sounds good. I, I was uh, perusing the USA Today as I sometimes do, and I came across an article about retirement, and uh, it's written by Rodney Brooks of USA Today, and the title of it is this, it's uh, In Retirement, as in Skydiving, when you make a mistake, it's a lot harder to recover. And basically, the the gist of it is uh, several items that uh, are good for retirees, some of the bigger mistakes that uh, retirees often make, and um, basically, it kind of goes like this, you have a situation where most people have only retired one time or, or don't retire multiple times usually. And the premise of the article really is to say that, well, if you don't have any experience in doing that, what's, how can you be sure you're, you're likely to get it right the first time? And it's like basically anything else in life. You don't really get very good at something unless you've done it multiple times. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the gist of the article, but it goes like this. Um, 
that how it goes? No, here it goes. Sorry about that. Oh, okay. I, I don't have this uh, carefully laid out here. Let me get a me- little music break. Right? Basically, it goes like this. Rookie mistakes abound when you try uh, pretty much anything for the first time. So why should retirement be any different? It's just that in retirement, as in skydiving, when you make a mistake, it's a lot harder to recover. So to help you through that first year, we asked experts, experts at what are the biggest mistakes by, made by rookie retirees. Collectively, they had about a dozen, but they boiled them down to about seven, it says here. And the big, biggest one is one, Ken, you talk about all the time, actually, and that is not having a financial plan. And not surprisingly, financial planners were nearly unanimous in the importance of visiting a financial planner and having a plan leading into retirement. Uh, the biggest mistake you can make going into retirement is going into retirement without a plan in place. And that's uh, what Catherine Dean says, uh, who works for Wells Fargo Private Bank. I like that music. That's quite mm-hmm. nice. So not having a plan. Jeopardy? Yeah, I think it is. I think it is. A failure plan is one of the most common reasons why retirees run into problems, says David Laster, director of uh, investment analytics at Merrill Lynch and the author of Pitfalls in Retirement. Uh, in one survey by the Employees Benefit Research Institute, only 42% of workers try to calculate a budget before going into retirement. If you don't do that, that leaves you vulnerable to some unpleasant surprises in retirement, and it can be painful. Yeah, I could. Ken, didn't a while ago you, you had made a, a quote about um, the number of folks who, who, again, didn't have a retirement plan? Well, just in the last few years, um, and I, ha- I should get the updated numbers. It was from, the I think, the Financial Planning Association or the CFP board, one of those two groups. And um, during the crisis, uh, well, or, or even emerging from it, I think it was no more than a, maybe two years ago when we were looking at this. Right. Uh, the number for 2000 maybe 11, was somewhere around 30% uh, of people had a financial plan. Um, and somewhere close to 70% of Americans were uncomfortable about their ability to retire. So oh, it's kind yeah. of an interesting correlation there. Right. That um, I, I, would, I would venture to say that some of those people who were uncomfortable, probably with having a plan, um, and a few minor tweaks would be able to retire. But not having a plan, they have no idea. Mm-hmm. So they're uncomfortable about something that maybe they don't even need to be uncomfortable. Right. I'm sure a good portion of them have a legitimate reason to be uncomfortable and concerned because they haven't done the proper savings or put the money away. But they also don't know um, how to do that. Right. And... Um, yeah, real quick, Ethan. I know we're you're you're in this article, but I was just reading the investment news. There's and just the last year, um, here's been an enormous amount of talk about online advisory companies. And in last month's one of last month's issues, there's a whole spread here on um, uh, that I was just going through on you know online advisory and uh, ready or not, technology is changing everything. Financial advisors' role is about to change within a decade. They may not be needed for many of the traditional tasks that they routinely perform for clients. And it kind of goes on, um, which there's nothing really groundbreaking. Uh, We were talking about this probably eight years ago, Mm -hmm. um, about how certain advice type of functions. But I I just wanted to clarify in in the context of the retirement analysis here that getting some basic information online or having a portfolio um, generically rebalanced or built on uh, through an online system is one thing, but where people tend to um, 
for example, you might have the best financial planning tool available for free online, uh-huh. but if you don't have someone pushing you to actually take advantage of it, it's useless. And I think where a lot of the advisory value gets um, passed over, what they're missing in this kind of thing is that someone is actually guiding you to do the planning, to get a plan in place. It's not so much that it's not available. Does that make sense? There's a lot of tools available now to do a lot of things online, but it doesn't necessarily mean I want to do it. Like I could probably learn how to, you know, do a do a heart transplant online, but I don't know that you'd want me doing it. <laughs> you know what I mean? And walking through the online video or the steps of that, right? Um, I don't. I don't have a lot of interest in that, and so I think it's important to realize that no matter how far the technology evolves in that. Um, something has to motivate you to take advantage of that and to take all the steps there. And it's still, we're a long way off from being able to input a few, um, easily input or, or have data get sucked out of a, uh, out of a program and, and deal with complicated issues that in a lot of cases have psychological um, influence, mm-hmm. if, that, if that makes any sense as well. Um, uh, to me, it does. I think a lot of times, well, everybody is subject to the various biases that we have um, as human beings. Um, overconfidence being one of those things, right? Being Having the uh, the idea that we're actually better at something than we actually are, right? That, that pertains to everything in life, not just, you know, we're talking about retirement planning, but it really has a lot of uh, uh, application throughout life. And I think the biggest thing you're paying for, when you, when you talk about all the tools that are online, you're exactly right. The, what you don't get with that um, and they're getting better and better, I suppose. But the real issue is, is not how, how really good they are. It's that you don't have a person who has expertise and judgment in that area to help guide the outcome, you know, how it, help guide the process. And that's the biggest part of why you'd work with a professional. I mean, that's why you work with an actual doctor, right? Like, they have not just the, the training, online tools, that kind of stuff. Because you can go to, to WebMD, right, get diagnosed, whatever, do it yourself. But really, is there any expertise and judgment in that that tool? I don't think so. And. We're not saying this because we're trying to support a dying industry, per se. Like, hey, we're worried about protecting our own involvement in this industry. Um, we're trying to embrace as much technology, and we're actually even creating some of our own right now. Sure. Some programs that will help us to do a better job <clears throat> providing financial guidance um, through retirement with, some on, with with a program that will help to develop a plan to withdraw or, or look at different options. And, and from there, we have other ideas. And we've talked about developing various technologies to help clients. But if we look at innovations in the past, and while we're on this, and I'll let you get back to your article, Ethan, um, it's interesting because what might be thought of as a, a something that would put, for example, Ethan, let me break this down for you. Okay. When when trading switched over, and you, know, you didn't have to go through a full so-called full commissioned broker, right? You could go to a discount brokerage company. That was one innovation that occurred. That I remember when I was just getting out of college, and I saw some magazines just like this sitting in one of the one of the. I was working as a intern with one of the brokerage companies, and it had a picture of a dinosaur on it, and he was wearing a suit. It looked just like you, um, <laughs> but uh, except the beard. Um, but it had, a, and, it, and it basically said, "Hey, will will brokers be 
now extinct because of the online. Oh, or, uh-huh. The discount brokerage companies and also online. Well, what happened to the discount guys is they all created platforms to provide advice. So that's one thing. Because what they realize is, hey, giving people access to either cheap or free trades doesn't necessarily... It's an innovation for sure, and being able to trade online and gather that data online is an innovation. However, does it ultimately improve the person's situation? And the studies have shown the creation of a retail um, pool where you can trade in and out of ETFs or mutual funds without any commissions did not enhance the return of the average investor, actually reduced and lowered the return in spite of the no fee or lower fee on transactions. So I'm just, you know, it's December 5th here. And, and we were talking a week ago, I think it was, with about, you know, this Ken Fisher mm-hmm. saying the bigger brokerage companies are going to run out uh, the independent advisors, run them out of business within 10 years. Well, it's either going to be the, and I know we wanted to have the show partially for other advisors and people in the industry, but. I guess we're going to have to take a quick break, Ethan. Sorry about that. I had a lot of ideas. We'll take a quick break and we'll come back. uh, Empirical Investing Radio. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor? Or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management, inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at empiricalfs.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com. Did you ever stop to think that financial health can be a lot like physical health? The financial physician, Luce Katigna, has helped people on the radio for nearly 15 years. And now he's part of the Voice America Business Channel. By using medical analogies to discuss financial solutions, Lou actually makes the process easier to understand and will help you chart your own financial fitness. Tune in to The Financial Physician, live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time, and on demand anytime on the Voice America Business Channel. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact 
at EMPIRadio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. All right, we're back. Empirical Investing Radio. Your co-host here, Ethan Brogo, alongside Ken Smith. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, just entering our, our second segment, and uh, we were struggling through this article here, uh, talking about retirement. And uh, thank you, Ken, for throwing me a lifeline there. But uh, we're gonna. Hey, I didn't mean to Shanghai your your segment there, Ethan. No, I, was, I, I deserved it. I you know if I could just finish my point. Here, sure, sure. That. Um, and I, I promise I'll be brief. <laughs> no, no, thank you. Can, you can get back in there. I'm not anxious um, to read that, um, so it's fine. Okay. So, I'll make it really quick. Um, you always have very insightful comments, I'm sure. Uh, well, you know, I'm just, I'm just trying to look at where this is all going. And, you know, my point was, hey, one article saying that the independence will be gone because these big wirehouse firms are going to take it over. Then another article saying it's these independent online advice providers are and i think all i was saying is innovations are one thing but historically if you look back they don't always translate the way we will think they will translate that's yes. the one thing we know definitely true and it's very similar in terms of investments and investment returns um and you know i was listening to this hedge fund manager on bloomberg I was getting ready in the morning, and you know, he's made some good calls. And then they said, "Well, hey, what about uh, what about your investment? I think it was in J.C. Penney or something. He must have lost a bunch of money on the deal." And he said, "Well, you know, if if things would have went that based on the fundamental analysis of that company, we would have made a lot of money. I expected to see, you know, I think it was something like a forty percent return. Instead, he lost money. Yeah, but it was because something came up that we hadn't predicted. It was unexpected, right? Yeah, of course. And it really had to do with." the vendors um, reacting in a certain way based on their stability of the company, and then they had to get more financing and blah, blah, blah. It's like, it sounds very intelligent, even as he's explaining why he lost a bunch of money. Yeah, yeah. But it's really, not, it's it's just a, a testament to the fact that, hey, a lot of things are out of control. And so in practical application, uh-huh. I think technology is amazing and great, but until technology can actually take control of, of your brain, Ethan, and stop you from making decisions on your own, <laughs> it's not going to always translate perfectly into better a better process, Sure. for example. And if you look what's behind a lot of these guys that are launching this, you know, they're just in it to make money quickly. It's not about really them trying to get people to... Make better decisions ultimately, but they position it. All of this stuff gets positioned that way, you know, low-cost trading or active trading and all this stuff that really is quite harmful to people is, you know, it's kind of like, in my view, the cigarette thing. It's, you know, they're not in the business of improving people's health. They're in the business of selling that stuff. And they'll make the disclosures they have to make, Mm -hmm. but... I think even the articles that we're talking about now, the the two two you just mentioned, they're... They have to attract an audience, right? So they have to be a little bit edgy, have a little bit of a claim to it, or have, yeah, edgy is the right way to say it. I mean, they're not. I don't know if the people actually write this, actually believe that or not, but they have to write a story about something, oh. and then mm. they got to make it somewhat motivate, you know, motivate people to to, to take notice, some notice anyway. Otherwise, no one's going to read it anyway. Yeah, so those, those those are ulterior motives as well on the, on the surface and even below the surface with these things. Good point. Okay, well, let's proceed on with your. Um, with with your retirement art article here. 
All right. Well, so the first mistake that most retirees have, according to this article, uh, is not having a financial plan, which is pretty true. I think a lot of people don't have a financial plan. And if you don't know, you know where you're going, how are you going to get there is my question. That's a good point. It's going to be tough. So number two, uh, item number two in the list here in terms of uh, important things to uh, know in retirement or rather mistakes people make, overspending, number two. Uh, when you are in retirement, you have a lot of time in your hands, says T. Michael Jones, Vice President at Bryn Mawr Trust. People do more shopping, take vacations. It's important to create a real budget that in- includes fixed expenses and discretionary expenses and consult a financial advisor. A lot of people are surprised to see how their money is being spent and where they're spending it. So that's important, obviously, making sure that you have some type of uh, strategy around your spending. Okay. Uh, uh, let's see here. Yeah, this is interesting. It goes on to say here, quote, uh, New York Life asked a group of people how much retirement savings you can spend without depleting your assets, uh, Laster says. The biggest number was 42%. Can you believe that? Like some person actually said, hey, 42% of my assets can be spent annually in retirement. It's mm-hmm. obviously a wide range of things there. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, so you need to understand how much you can spend and what your, your assets and income can support and maintain yourself through, through retirement, obviously. Well, yeah, that is, if there was a case uh, for an annuitization type of thing, um, the, the, the one case about that is that you really don't have a choice on what you spend once you start to annuitize. You just get, you get your check. Yeah, that's true. You know what I mean? Right, right. Um, so, I don't know. I'm, I'm not a big fan of annuities as a general investment strategy, but uh, certainly if you if you think you can spend 42% of your savings in a, in a particular year, you might be a good candidate to put it into have it put into an annuity. Yeah, some type of fixed annuity. So you just distributed a monthly income right, for the right. rest of your life. Sure. And you can do some of that are adjusted for inflation, right? Um, and you all just have, you know, and you have to kind of learn to live around that. Particularly if you weren't engaging any real life or online advice, um, it's probably for someone who has that. And that's why they offer a lot in those subtle insurance settlements, you know, because people come into big chunks of money, and that makes sense. Um, time and time again, they they blow through it, and they're, you know. No longer, they're back to their pre-financially independent stage. Right. You hear that a lot about with uh, big, you know, lotto ticket winners. Right. They have a similar situation there mm-hmm. where they spend a lot of them, a lot of the cash up front. So good way around that. Perhaps is the new to good idea. And I think that's where the advisory role. If you had someone and you allowed them to do their job well, they would they would guide you through that process and say, "Hey, you're spending too much. Right. Forty two percent a year is not going to work. No doubt. If you're sixty. <laughs> and you're in good health. Right, right. right. Okay, continue on. Number three, uh, one of my favorite topics, and we've covered this on the show before, claiming Social Security too early. It says the biggest and most common mistake that uh, is that they take Social Security too soon, Jones says. One of the small things you can do is make benefits as large as possible but by delaying as long as possible. On behalf of all Americans, start benefits as early as possible at age 62, she says. Many people say, I want to get m- the most money now because I don't know when I'm going to die, which is, a, I guess, a reasonable, reasonable thing. Um, but waiting to take Social Security is far, a far smarter move, says Jeremy Kisner, uh, president of SureVest Wealth Management in Phoenix. A better move would have not been to claim it until a later date. 
For every year you wait between age 66 and 70, your Social Security is increasing at a rate of 8% per year. So in a lot of scenarios, people should be waiting longer, which I agree with as well. I mean, that makes generally uh, pretty good sense. You know, by delaying, you get these delayed retirement credits built up at a rate of 8% per year if you're beyond full retirement age. And then once payments begin, that payment's adjusted for inflation for as long as you live. And especially if you're married, right, where you have joint life expectancies to, to consider, not just individual life expectancy. It's a, usually a pretty good financial move if you're in average health or better. So that's a good point. Yeah, and um, I would think that part of the issue, if it's half America, half of Americans, right, are starting them as early as possible, 62, um, it's probably going to lead into one of the other mistakes here. But it's, hey, do you think it's, hey, I want to, I want to stop working, and I, where else am I going to get the income from? Yeah, that's a different thing, right? I mean, yeah. if you have no other income, no other sources of income at, at 62, then what else are you going to do? Of course you're going to do that if you're retired. Okay. Uh, but if you've been able to accumulate some, some benefits, uh, or rather some savings before then, uh, generally waiting to claim it is better. And I think that's another advantage of proper planning earlier in your life, rather than getting there and then going, geez, I'm, I should be deferring it, but I can't. Yes. Putting some money away so that you can spend, uh, have have money in a savings or investment account to spend. So you actually have the opportunity of deferring it and then getting more over your entire lifetime. Right. Rather than just getting it early. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. That's cool. All right. Number four, uh, being too conservative with investments and not considering inflation. Mm-hmm. Retirees used to move. Uh, most of their savings into bonds and CDs, but those days are over given current interest, given current interest rates. Sweeney says a 65-year-old should have half of or more of their portfolio invested in stocks. One reason, bonds and CDs won't whip inflation. Hey, where's that whip? Give me the whip. Do we have a whip? All right. There Ooh. it is. All right. That's nice. true. Bonds and CDs won't really uh, whip inflation. That's probably true. At least we don't expect it. I mean, bond rates are very low right now. Inflation is also very low. Uh, but, yeah, they are they are. Pretty, pretty. Need to, need to keep track of that. So, um, we try to make most folks understand the time frame they will live in retirement. He says, uh, if a couple lives to sixty-five, they have a good chance that one of them um, will live live into their nineties. He says, uh, they need to understand inflation will erode their buying power over the thirty years or more that they will be in retirement. So that's a good point. I mean, you need to be able to keep up and outpace inflation. That's part of the idea of. Uh, uh, by having some stocks, generally speaking, they'll have higher returns than bonds, uh, certainly more than cash over time, and that's how you can get a, a return above and beyond uh, just inflation. So it makes good sense. Cheryl, let me understand. Um, people are being too conservative. Is that what you're saying? Basically. They're moving, they, they used to move their money out of the bonds and CDs, but because interest rates are lower, um, what are they doing now? Uh, I'm not sure what the article is saying. That I think it's just saying oh, in general okay. people are saying, or in general people are have been too conservative with investments, probably for fear of declines. It's probably people are leaving stocks or, as people get closer to retirement. I'm guessing. I'm not certain exactly clear here, but the point number four is being yeah, too conservative. I, I mean, I think the data in our experience has been people tend to be conservative at the wrong times. Yes, and regardless of age group, I've, we've seen it over and over again that. When markets, equity markets are doing well, they're taking on too much equity risk. After equity markets have done poorly, they they don't take enough equity risk. 
right? That's how it goes, um, right? That's how so it usually works. So when retired retirees were loading up on these annuities like crazy, was as the market started to go down, they panicked, and then they missed out on a huge, overwhelming, massive rebound in equities. I guess we got to take another break here, Ethan. All right. Hit the brakes on that. We'll go through the rest of your <laughs> your article here when we get back. Empirical Investing Radio with Ken and Ethan. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor? Or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management, inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at empiricalfs.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com. Are you a decision maker in your organization, a mid-level manager, or a team member? Stepping Stones to Everyday Success with host Kimberly Stewart is a program designed to provide you with tidbits and tools you need to achieve results no matter where you are in your organizational structure. Interaction is key, and you'll have opportunities to share your ideas, comments, and questions. Listen to Stepping Stones to Everyday Success, live every Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time, on the Voice America Business Channel. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. All right, Empirical Investing Radio, you're... Your co-host Ethan Broga, alongside Ken Smith, uh, talking about an article we have here from USA Today about retirement. And uh, Ken, we were on item number four here, which was uh, among mistakes make, made in retirement, which is uh, being too conservative with investments and not considering inflation. Just kind of kicking that around a little bit. Um, you were just saying before the break, I think that the biggest tendency we 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 see is that after markets decline, people want to sell stocks. And after they go up a lot, people want to buy stocks, and which is, you know, typically not the best best strategy. There, you're 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 selling low and buying high, in essence, in, in that respect. Um, which is why I think it's important to have an allocation that represents, you know, your your willingness and, and need to take risk and stick with it. Basically, yeah. once you once you've elected a well thought out allocation, sticking with it is part of the key to the success. And more likely than not, that includes some type of balanced portfolio, right? Very rarely do you. You have a uh, situation where, hey, all bonds, 100% bonds is appropriate, or hey, all stocks, 100% stocks is appropriate. Usually, some balance between the two is, is the best mix, and I think 
part of that is that we don't know, obviously, the future, right? We don't mm-hmm. know with any real precision any one year what stocks or bonds are really going to do. Um, but one thing we know for sure, you don't want to sell assets after they decline in price. And by having a balanced portfolio, especially when you're liquidating a, a, a portfolio for, for income purposes, you want to have things in the portfolio that behave differently from time to time. So if stocks are down, well, hey, don't, don't be forced to sell stocks so you can tap into bonds. Or if stocks do very well, hey, don't sell bonds, sell some stocks at that time. So it's pretty simple stuff. It is. It's simple. The idea is pretty simple, yeah. but complicated, or rather complicated to implement, I think, because of, of all the emotional baggage we have as investors to make those decisions at the time. Yeah. It's hard to, hard to get cut through all that to, to, to make the right choices, I think, sometimes. Proceed on. Any other thoughts on that particular topic? No, you know, he just he did say if you're 65 and you've got a good chance of living in your 90s, and I was just reading that that uh, Nelson Mandela died to, today. It looks like at age uh, 95, and um, mm-hmm. just an example that you know we are living longer today, yeah. and uh, it's I mean, something you want to plan for. Yeah, I mean, we all know people who have uh, probably personally right who have lived to 90. 95, 100 maybe, even beyond that, right? Yeah. People that we, we actually knew in our lives. So I'd agree. And that a lot of times these, well, I know for sure, the mortality tables that we've seen in the past that estimate life expectancy, where he's getting this data, for example, are looking at past life expectancies, right? We're not projecting future life expectancies. Mm-hmm. But one thing we do know that it, with, with the improving um, health care and all that, boy, l- life expectancies are likely to get longer, not shorter in the future. So I'd agree with that. Yeah. All right. Proceed on, Ian. Number six, or rather number five, mistake number five. Uh, retiring too early apparently is a big mistake. Uh, 69% of people plan to earn some money after they retire, but only 27 report that they have worked for money after retirement. Well, that's interesting. Um, typically, you might uh, be at a job making $80,000. You can't come close to replacing that income. For every year you continue to work, between 62 and 70, you increase your probability of success in retirement by 10%. So it says here, basically, people who are retiring too early, um, one of the ways to make sure you have enough income in retirement from your assets and so forth is to perhaps work a little longer and defer tapping into your retirement uh, until later. Any thoughts on that? Um, you know, 69% of the people... Plan to earn some money after they retire, but only 27 report they have worked for money after retirement. Um, yeah, I, I, I think all I can say about that, Ethan, is um, having a good back to number one, having a, I guess a good plan. Right, sure. Would be the how do you determine whether it's too early? Well, I guess that's determined after you've run out of money. <laughs> I stopped. Or sacrificing your lifestyle, right? You know what I'm saying? Time. Yeah, sure. I mean, you wouldn't know that unless you had a plan and then the plan said, hey, geez, if I do this, I've got a very large percentage of uh, failure here. Mm-hmm. That I, I mean, very great odds of me fail, failing or running out of money too early. Otherwise, I don't know how you know that you've retired too early. So if you had a plan, you certainly wouldn't retire too early because the plan would tell you, hey, under various market circumstances with my, not just uh, an annual 8% a year kind of thing, but hey, what if we have some, right now we have low interest rates, that could proceed pr- for some time into the future. Mm-hmm. Um, 
what if we used you know variable equity returns um, you maybe you've got real estate what are we putting in for that what income do we have and then and then figuring that out but there has to be a framework I guess was only my com- comment on just simply working longer doesn't isn't wouldn't automatically be my solution yeah for right. that mm-hmm. uh, I don't know that Bill Gates needs to really worry about retiring too early that's true um, that's probably true. which is nice <laughs> uh, so I don't know that this would apply to him yeah. it'd be kind of foolish right like you, there would be a situation where you I think a, the best solution to that number five here retiring too early is to really have a good plan so that when you do retire and you now missed those peak income earning the ability to you know continue to earn that income um, you're very sure that you're doing it wisely right I guess yeah go ahead go ahead uh, one other thing just taking I'm gleaning, oh, yeah. I'm gleaning this from what's written here it says 69% of people who plan to earn some money after they retire but only 27 report that they actually do that's a big difference too I think what they're saying is that hey I'm gonna I'm gonna stop my full time occupation basically that at, at say sometime earlier in retirement age maybe 62 or something like that um, I'm going to work part-time, but then it turns out most of them don't work part-time, or at least work part-time and actually earn money. Yeah. So I think there's a couple of different things going on here. One of those is retirement currently. But I think the big big message there, I agree with you, is, hey, plan. Plan ahead. Plan ahead and stick yeah. to the plan. Basically, that would help help that quite a bit. Uh, I mean, there's no there's no genius in the fact that each year you work and you're not you're not pulling money out of your portfolio, you don't have to worry about running out of money. Right. Like, well, there's nothing magical about that, right, um, right? To me, and the you know, idea that every year you work between 62 and 70, you increase your probability of success by 10. percent Well, that's because you're living; you have less time to live, and which you hadn't had to withdraw out of your portfolio. Like that's right? true. That's true. Um, but success in life may not just be, you know, working longer. Yeah. It, if if you could do it and accomplish everything you want. Um, at age 62, why wouldn't you? And I don't think our advice is always just work more, spend less. You know, it's really a balance between maybe some of that spending is giving back to the community um, and or your loved ones and those types of things. And you want to do that while you're alive. You want to maximize that opportunity mm-hmm. and not just wait until I'm 100 and then pass it on to people now who don't need it or, you know what I mean? Yeah, I know. I work with people all the time who who would say, "Boy, I, I really would like to be doing something else at this point. I'm doing this job I, that they are doing for a long period of time. They don't necessarily want to stop working. And it, if the plan comes out and says, "Hey, you actually could retire today," what would you do with your time? You know, that's that's some of the results sometimes with these things that we go over with folks, and they realize then they actually have choices. Hey, I can continue working at the same job I I am. I have been mm-hmm. for some time. Can you save? But I. Are, that will marginally improve my success rate for retirement because it looks like I'm pretty well set, which is great. But I have the ability to then work in an area perhaps that I, I have a passion for or, or developed a passion for, whether it be a charitable cause or a foundation of some kind or something like that, to keep them very interested and active and all that stuff, but be a little different for them. You know, yeah. They don't have to get up for the same reason every, every morning as they have for the last you know, 20 or 30 years. Okay, uh, number six, we actually kind of already hit on this, uh, underestimating life expectancy. And I think this is generally true. Most folks um, do underestimate their own life expectancy um, a lot of times. Um, I see that all the time. 
in fact, particularly joint life expectancy, as, as we've talked about before. Um, people who are married especially, you can expect that one of you is going to live live longer, 90 or so, if you're, you're 60 years old. Um, and you just mentioned N Nelson Mandela today as well, he died at age 95. So um, easy to do, under underestimating life expectancy. Any other comments on that? No. All right, fair enough. Uh, the, number seven here, uh, this is the last on the list here, not having a health care strategy. Health care costs have been rising substantially, Dean says. Most of the population will need some kind of long-term care. That could be a substantial part of your retirement expenses, according to the EBRI survey. Half of men reaching 65 will need some sort of long-term care. Wow. Yeah, that's an important part. I mean, making sure you have money set aside or at least somewhat earmarked for that purpose in the event that you need it, is it would be a good thing, that's for sure. It's, um, it's something, Ethan, I, I would like to get more hard data on because um, here we're not talking about health care from the perspective, right, of paying insurance premiums. Those are pretty sad when you're retired, right? Uh -huh. you, you, for yeah. the most part. Um, but what you're saying, it, what they're talking about here is the long-term care issue. Hey, I, I'm no longer capable of taking care of myself but I need ongoing I need ongoing help yeah and how that's affecting your retirement plan right yeah I mean a lot of times uh, healthcare uh, long-term care costs are fairly expensive uh, they are pretty expensive no doubt about it <clears throat> um, and would be let's say for example if you're retired and you're maybe you're living on uh, $50,000 a year let's say well that wouldn't be enough to cover the cost of long-term care right and let's say you would plan for retirement uh, to spend $50,000 a year and you had expected to have uh, a, most of your principal intact after you pass away. But then long-term care needs come in and not only you're spending that $50,000 a year you planned for, but you're spending an additional $40,000 a year that you didn't plan for. Right. That's what they're talking about here. Well, that, hey, that really can deplete things. If your intentions and desires were to leave your, as much, or some of your money to heirs or charities when you pass away, well, that could be taken away from you if that isn't planned for properly. Um, because the cost of that, that service or that, that time of life would be more than you had expected. Um, so what's your recommendation? I don't see, they're not recommending. Um, other than addressing the risk, it says here. But clearly that's something we talk about with, with folks that we work with. Um, should they self-insure? Do you have enough assets to do that? What are the pros and cons against doing that? Um, assuming you can actually get coverage. And obviously the, the healthier you are, the younger you are, the, the more likely that is to occur. Well, I like what you're saying there. Fair enough. What should we move on to next? Well, what else do you have, Ethan? We've got about a minute in this segment. Um, um, well, we do have some things coming up with, well, obviously, year-end, right? Year-end's coming up. Yes, it is. Um, one of the things you want to look out for is, uh, in terms of taxes, I was just thinking off the top of my head here. Um, looking at the mutual fund distributions, I think we maybe talked about that earlier in the year. But getting to that time of the year to make sure you're, if you're thinking about investing in new funds, new monies, making sure you understand how that's going to work. You know, you want to invest tomorrow, and then have a a large distribution made on that mutual fund. Um, so hey, maybe uh, we can talk about that after the break. Yeah, let's go ahead and take a break. We'll be right back. All right, Empirical Investing Radio, Ken and Ethan.
it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor? Or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management, inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at empiricalfs.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com. In sales, are you a lion or a vulture? Lions don't wait. They just go for it. Vultures hang around until the lions are finished and just pick up the scraps. How can you set yourself apart as a lion? Join the other aspiring sales lions and listen to Forget Patience, Let's Sell Something with host Ty Maynard. You'll learn the tips and strategies of top sales professionals. You'll gain more clients at a faster rate and at higher margins. If you're a sales professional, business owner, or executive, listen in every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. All right, Ethan, we're back uh, on our last segment. We're talking about year-end tax planning a little bit, and um, I had some other stuff. But, Ethan, I met with our accountant today, CPA, and uh, he was giving me a little bit of heads up on um, tax planning for our clients and um, something to be aware of uh, with regard to um, phase-out on itemized deductions. And I just pulled up an article I thought, I could highlight some of this new limits. This is from earlier this year, but um, RCP was reiterating that the the new limits on tax deductions, um, which would affect charitable donations, and so the limits on deductions are part of the new tax law Congress passed on New Year's Day. This was from earlier. They reduce the value of all itemized deductions for individuals making more than two hundred fifty thousand dollars and married couples making more than three hundred thousand. And I don't know if those numbers have been revised. This article is from January. Hmm. Advocates are concerned that the limits will reduce the tax incentive for people to make donations to charities and nonprofits such as religious institutions, colleges, and groups that help the poor. The charitable deduction incentive is different than any other deduction or credit in the tax code, said Sandra Swirsky, executive director for the Alliance of Charitable Reform which lobbies on the behalf of donors and private foundations. That's because the deduction encourages people to give away income 
while other deductions and credits encourage people to buy things they can write up. Uh, charitable giving increased in 2010 and 2011, according to the latest data, but yet uh, it has yet to fully recover to pre-recession levels. Uh, charitable giving by individuals and foundations topped $298 billion in 2011. It was $337 billion, Ethan, in uh, inflation just stars in 2007. The new tax provision reduces the amount of itemized deductions a taxpayer can, can, can claim. This is where you want to tune in. Okay. Uh, by three cents for every dollar of income above the threshold. For example, if a married couple had an adjusted gross income of 400000 that's $100,000 above the threshold level. So we were saying married couples at three hundred is when this phase out begins. Mm-hmm. Go ahead and brace yourself. That's uh, one hundred thousand. So the itemized deductions would be reduced by three thousand dollars. So whatever your your item itemized deductions were, uh, let's say it was ten thousand. I don't know. I'm just making that up here. Um, now you know you're down to seven. Right. Itemized deductions cannot be reduced by more than eighty percent under the provision, and that's what Ken CPA was telling me. Um, but that's a pretty good amount. I mean, imagine if you had an 80% phase out and you thought you were trying to get your year in charitable contribution in, mm-hmm. which, you know, I think charity is a great thing regardless of the tax break, but you certainly wouldn't be doing it as a tax planning tool if 80% of it was getting phased out. My point would be, you'd be doing it for other reasons mm-hmm. and you just want to be aware of that. Um, in this example, if the couple had a, had a total of $60,000 in itemized deductions, they could claim 57000 If they were in the 33% income bracket, the provision would increase their taxes by a whopping $990. The provision is a revival of the P's, P-E-A-S-E limitation. Remember I was telling you kids said P's? Uh, not the kind you eat. Yeah. Limitation first enacted in 1990, but phased out in 2010 as a part of the massive package of the Bush air tax cuts. It is named after a deceased congressman, Representative Donald Pease, if you pease, Ethan, uh, who wrote the measure. Experts say there is no evidence that the limitation reduced charitable giving in the past and no reason to think it will have much of an impact going forward. Giddy up. Um, let's just take another look here at something else. Um, I have a comment. Mm-hmm. Just briefly. Mm-hmm. I mean, the best way to tell how effective your giving strategy is relative to taxes is to run a mock tax return. Go ahead. There's no, there are a lot of, uh, uh, the tax code is very complex. Every year's tax return that you file, a lot of different things affect income, deductions, and so forth. Um, if you're going to be gift- gifting at any significant level, you, you got to run it through. And it look, you want to understand the tax consequences, you got to run it through a tax return. Just exactly what credit you're going to get for it. And I think that's the important thing here as you're talking about year-end tax strategizing is get with your tax professional. Mm-hmm. Um, and we are working closely with a very qualified tax group, Ethan. So mm-hmm. I mean, feel free to give us a call. We can get you connected to a tax advisor if that's something you need or you're looking for. And um, 
I was just reading the new law further increased the top tax rate from 35 to 39.6%, Ethan. Right. Untaxable income above 400000 And that could get pushed up even higher on the investment income because I think it's a 3.8% uh, yep. additional tax. Medicare tax, uh-huh. Um, and, then, and then the capital gains rates went up as well. Yep. Um, that's so right. untaxable income above 400000 for individuals and 450 for married couples. Um, now you're in that 39.6% tax rate. Mm-hmm. It also increases the top tax rate on long-term gains, which we talked about. Um, both, provisions, both provisions increase incentives for people to make charitable donations. Um, for example, if a married couple has a top income tax rate of 35, a $1 deduction will lower their tax liability by 35 cents. If that couple has a top tax rate of 39.6, it's nearly 40 cents. Um, but that assumes that you get it. It's, you know, So if you're right at that at that threshold, I think, and that's where, like you said, um, it comes to running those running those returns to know where you're at. Yeah, there's there's no real good back that I found anyway. Back of the envelope um, or napkin, as it were, um, calculations. You got to actually run the return. Yeah. That's, the, that's the best way to be not surprised. <laughs> you know, so you know exactly what you're getting. Okay. And then Ken also pointed out that for this year, if you're a small, you know, if you're a business, if you're running a business, there's a half a million dollar. Uh, I think you said section one seventy nine. Um, for capital improvements, and again, you'd want to talk to your tax professional about that. But previously, it was twenty-five thousand dollars, and so instead of depreciating certain qualified um, capital expenses in your company you, you, because they were trying to stimulate mm-hmm. investment and spending, mm-hmm. um, but that's set to click back at the end of the year. And so, starting next year, click back to twenty-five thousand if Congress doesn't do anything to change it. Which they may, but his opinion would be it may not be a full half a million dollars ever again, you know, in the near term. Yeah, right, right. So if that's something you were looking at, he had also cautioned that you want to make sure you get that. It's not just purchasing it. It has to be put in place. Put in service. There, Ethan. It's put in service by the end of the year. Right. Go ahead and look that up and talk to your tax professional. <laughs> Good advice. So I thought that was, you know, stuff you, you if you are doing some year-end tax planning that um, was very valuable for him to share, and wanted to share it to you as our listener. Uh, how much time do we have here? Approximately none. Time to go. So thanks for tuning in to Empirical Investing Radio on this beautiful December 5th. I hope you're having a happy, happy, happy holiday season. Um, feel free to swing by Ethan's house for a candy cane or something. But if not, we'll, uh, we'll talk to you again next week, next Thursday, same time on Empirical Investing Radio. Thank you. We 
hope you've enjoyed Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and Ethan Broga. Please join us again next Thursday afternoon at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And for more information about Empirical Investing Radio, please call 800-923-4307. We'll see you next week. 